Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be a thankful people because you have spoken. You have spoken your word to us through the words of the scriptures. Lord, that your word is inspired, it is authoritative, it is inerrant, it is necessary. And Lord, you have spoken to us through your word. But Lord, we thank you that you've also spoken to us through your living word, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are told that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this word became flesh. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and the grace that has been given to us in him. Lord, through his death, his burial, and resurrection, that we can have new life. And Lord, we thank you. That is why we gather. Lord, we celebrate the new life that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that that you will continue to stir our hearts to know you, to love you, to desire you, to obey you. The Lord, our whole lives would be being shaped by you and by your truth. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts and minds this morning to the word of God. As we would pray this morning, as we read the scriptures, as we have as we have sang to you this morning, Lord, we pray that our service would be a testimony to our love for you. And Lord, we pray now that we would listen carefully, that we would receive from you the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this time our kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. As they're dismissed, I want to acknowledge, appreciate our music team and the hard work that they're doing to, uh, to lead us in worship. As we think about our role as a church, that we're called to sing. As Jude preached a few months ago, that, that uh, singing isn't something that we just do as an option, but it is something God has called us to do as a church, and we want to do that well. And so I appreciate their hard work in, in, uh, in leading us in that. And with that, I would add, if you have some music ability, and, would lo- and we would love to expand and deepen our pool of of uh, musicians and those who sing. Now, there's one, might be more than one, but at least one, you have to have some ability, all right? So just because you think you sound great in the shower, that might not mean you sound great. You might sound great with me. Um, There's a reason why I'm not up there. But if you have some talents or maybe uh, some things that you want to work on, we would love to, again, deepen our pool of musicians. Uh, Jude and Bree are in their last year of her internship with us, and so uh, about a year from now, they're going to be transitioning, and uh, we're going to need some, uh, some depth. I mean, they're doing a great job up here leading, uh, but we're going to need some additional help with that. And so we want to start praying and planning for that, and if that may involve you, we would love to have you uh, be considering that. Well, this morning, our text in our Bible this morning is in the book of Mark chapter 1. If you'll open your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible this morning with you, you we can feel free to use one of the Pew Bibles. Uh, We are on page 837 in in our Pew Bibles this morning. As we begin our passage this morning and looking at our text, the message this morning is called Priorities. And as we think about priorities, it is oftentimes difficult for us to maintain our priorities to do what is most important to us whenever other opportunities entice us. That we have priorities, but other opportunities often entice us. For instance, an opportunity for a higher paying job with greater potential for advancement presents itself to you, but it will mean more hours away from home. Opportunities... And we've made those opportunities with our priorities. We would look as well as we would think about um, you have an opportunity to go to a party with some friends, to go hang out with some friends, but you've already made a commitment to help somebody with yard work. 
How do you weigh through that? The opportunity, you have an opportunity presents itself to go to, to have Colts season tickets. Somebody has presented you with the opportunity to have those, but you also know that, that if you take advantage of those, that is going to impact your participation and involvement with the church body on a regular basis. Priorities and opportunities. They often pull us in different directions. As we think about those kind of priorities, there are leadership gurus that would tell us that good is the enemy to great. That there are good opportunities for us sometimes, but they keep us from greater priorities. As we think this, we're often pulled between good things. We're pulled in different directions. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see how the pull in Jesus' life played itself out and how Jesus maintained his priorities in the midst of tremendous opportunities. Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 begins by saying this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, and the hymn is Jesus, they searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. As we begin our passage this morning, that we realize in setting our context, in earlier in chapter 1, verses 21 to 34, we had a glimpse in the day of the life of Jesus. Uh, we see that Jesus, it began with him teaching in the synagogues. It began then, he was rebuking an unclean spirit who was possessing a man. He was going to a friend's house. He healed a sick woman. He then spent hours in the evening curing diseases and, curing diseases and casting out demons. And so we see this long day in the life of Jesus, and we jump then into verse 35, and he rises very early in the morning while it's still dark, and he goes to pray, and as he goes to pray then, he then as he's interrupted in that prayer, his disciples are saying, there's, this, there's a great need, and he says, let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else, because I've come to preach. That's the purpose. And, and so our first big point that I want us to see in this is that, that prayer and preaching are the priorities of Jesus. That Jesus began his day at, at, at dark 30 in the morning when the disciples, and he's praying and he's there, and his disciples let him know, they interrupt him by saying that, that they're, everyone's looking for you. And, and as we think about this, what's going on? So the disciples, are, they've been with Jesus the previous day. There are crowds outside the house where uh, Jesus was staying. They get up in the morning and they don't find Jesus. And, and they don't find Jesus, but they're outside. There are all kinds of people, people who are sick, people who are lame, people who are needing help, people who are wanting help, and they can't find Jesus. So they go scurrying about to find Jesus, and it tells us that he went out to a desolate place. So he's away from things, and so they start looking, and they hit the trail, and they go find Jesus, and Jesus is praying. And they say to him, they say, Jesus, in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Now, what do you suppose the disciples' expectation was? What did you think that they, they found Jesus and they say, Jesus, everybody's waiting on you. What do you expect that they thought Jesus would do? Well, probably that Jesus would get up and go. And Jesus would get up and go with them because their needs are tremendous. They have all these sick people, all these hurting people that Jesus would get up and go with them. But that's not what Jesus does. 
And Jesus says to them instead, instead, he says to them in verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And what we see in this is Jesus has significant priorities. And his priorities are to pray. He got up early, went to pray. His priority is preaching the word of God. And I want to look at this and see some things about the life of Jesus and how they translate into our lives and then the bigger ministry of Jesus. And so the first thing we see in this is that Jesus' priorities are preaching and prayer. But we also see this, that he made time to pray. Now, Jesus started his day with the Father. As we think about Jesus was a busy man. But as we recognize, he wasn't too busy to pray. And in fact, there are people that often, this quote's been around a lot, but it would say this, that oftentimes we think we're too busy to pray. But when Jesus is looking at his ministry, he was too busy not to pray. Too busy not to pray. And, And I'm burdened with this in my own life, and I'm guessing that many of you are as well, that the amount of time that you take to pray, carving out time to get away to pray, it could be improved. We would see also that Jesus doesn't make time, simply make time to pray. He also got a way to pray. He, he, he was in the house and he removed himself from the distractions. I mean, Jesus likely knew what his morning was going to bring. He knew that if he stayed in the house and where he was, that as soon as everybody got up, the demands would be on him. And so Jesus got a way to pray. And he went to a desolate place, and there he was alone. And from this, we can think about how easy it is for us to be distracted in prayer. And think about sometimes you may get up early, and so you're going to make time to pray, and you're sitting in the living room, and you're sitting in the living room, trying, and you're, you're focusing to pray, and then you open up, and you see all the stuff that needs to be picked up. You're like, oh, i got to pick that up. And so you're distracted by that. And so you decide, I'm going to go to the kitchen so I'm not distracted. You go into the kitchen to pray, and it's still dark. People aren't up, and you know, so you're up. And then you look around, and you're like, this kitchen's a mess. or dishes need to be done. And you're like, I can't focus on this. So you find a room in the house that you don't spend much time in. You go, so I'm going to go pray there. It's quiet, light. Okay. And so you go there, and you get into that room, and you decide, I'm going to pray. And you're praying, and, and, and then you start to see the cobwebs in the corners. And you're like, man, distracted again. And, and, and think about how easily we are to be distracted. And I think part of that is the nature of our flesh, that, that we're just easily distracted people. I, I think there's also spiritual warfare that goes on with that, that the last thing that Satan wants us to do is to pray. And so if he can use dust bunnies in the corner of your room to distract you from praying to the eternal creator of the universe, he'll use them. Right? And, and so that there's a spiritual battle that goes on in our prayer lives. But we find so many distractions, and so finally you decide, I'm just going to go find a closet. And you close the closet, you turn the light off so you can't see anything, and it smells pretty good and stuff, so you're there, so no distractions, and your phone buzzes. Because that's a distraction we're not sure we want to do without, Right? So we have all of these things that go on and so easily distract us. And we see Jesus getting away to a place where he could pray. And I would encourage, I would encourage you to, 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 that, that these are two things that we can do. Get away, find a place, take time to pray. But as we see this, why is it that prayer is so important? Why is it that we need to be a praying people? First of all, it's because prayer demonstrates dependence. Prayer demonstrates dependence as we think about who jesus is fully god fully man 
living life to the glory of the Father, that Jesus is living with His divine powers surrendered to the will of the Father. He came to live as a human being just like us. And He made prayer a regular part of His life. Seeking the will of the Father, seeking the desires of the Father, seeking the face of the Father, that He would would be pursuing this, that Jesus took time to spend with His Father. And it demonstrates His dependence. As we consider our own lives and where does prayer fit into our own lives, there's an author by the name of Daniel Henderson, and he uses an illustration I think is really helpful in this, that he describes the nature in which we can conduct our lives and our ministries, and he uses an illustration comparing a motorboat to a sailboat. And he describes that oftentimes we are living our lives like we're driving a powerboat. We're driving a speedboat, that, that we are in this boat, and as we're in this boat, that we're racing through the water, we're busy, we're creating waves, there's a lot of activity taking place, we are able to pull others along because we got the motor in our boat, we're able to steer where we think is best, and we're heading where we think we need to be going, and all of this is powered by the high-octane fuel of our own efforts and our desires. And we look at that and we're looking and we're getting a lot done. We're tearing up this lake. I mean, look at this. Look at all that's going on. And he described that and compares it to the picture of a sailboat. A sailboat that is dead in the water without the wind. And he uses that illustration to help us to see that and to ask ourselves the question, what are we depending on? What are we depending on to give us wisdom and strength and power? What are we depending on? And and we realize that that, that without the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us, that we can be creating all kinds of activity. We can be doing a lot of things that are really busy and look like a lot's happening. But if it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit, driven by the Word of God, then it's ultimately of, of, of no value. And it's a challenge for us to to recognize what is going on in our own lives. What is going on even in the life of, of our own church. How dependent are we on God? Are we dependent on the talents and the abilities and the skills of those who serve? And we recognize God gifts the church with skilled, talented, good people, but it's very easy for us then to be operating on our own strength. Prayer demonstrates our dependence. Someone has asked the question question this way. They said, if the Holy Spirit was taking out the sails of your life, if the Holy Spirit took a leave of absence from your life, how long would it take for you to notice? So if God fills our hearts and gives us all that we have, if He just suddenly said, you know, I'm going to take a little leave of absence, would it take a long time to notice because largely your life's driven by your own desires, goals, purposes, dependent on your own will? Maybe to ask another question is we would think about this. If God answered all your prayers in the last month, every prayer that you prayed in the last month, God answered every one of them, what would be different? What, what, what would be different? Maybe a, a few people might be a little healthier. Maybe you had some better days because you pray, God, give us a good day. 
You didn't catch a disease from the food you ate because your food was blessed. What else would be different? Would your heart be different? Would, would, would things be different in our community if God answered the prayers that you prayed this past month? In our nation? In our world? Would things be any different if God answered every prayer you prayed in the last 30 days? Would there be any more people in heaven because God answered your prayer to save a lost friend, a lost loved one? See, I'm burdened that oftentimes we, we, we give a lot of lip service. Do we believe that prayer works? Yes. Do we believe that God answers prayer? Yes. Do we believe that God invites us into his presence to pray? Yes. Do we believe that God says, ask, seek, and knock, and I will answer you? We believe, yes, yes, yes. We confess, confess, confess. But when it comes to our everyday activity, how much really happens? Are we dependent on God or just what we can get done? Well, prayer demonstrates our dependence and we see Jesus depending on the, His Father, depending on His Father to give Him direction, to give Him, to give him strength and to find His continual hope and direction in that. Do we find that? I would encourage you this morning to, to reflect on that. And, and listen, I'm not simply asking these questions simply to, to maybe make you to feel guilty, but to motivate you to action. To not simply know that, man, I'm not praying very well. I should do a better job of it. That, that's just a start. I would urge you to, it's on, the, on your notes somewhere, as you would think through, and what we're going to talk about this morning, you think about what can I be doing to pray differently. But we recognize that prayer not only demonstrates dependence, we also need to recognize that prayer expresses delight. Prayer expresses delight, that we don't simply run to God because of things that we need, which is fine, God will ask us to do that, but we'd also go to God because we delight in Him. The same Daniel Henderson I was talking about before, the quoting, he, he describes this difference between we seek God, why do we seek God? Do I seek God for his hand, which means that I'm seeking God because of what he can give to me, or am I seeking God for his face, for his presence? It's just an opportunity for me to talk to God, to talk to God about who he is, to talk to God about the gratitude that I have for what he has done for me, to express his characteristics and my appreciation for it. That, that, that prayer also expresses our delight. And as we think about this dependent prayer, as we think about this prayer of delight, I want to give you a little tool that I think will help you, all right? Something I think can be really helpful for you as you think about how do I pray better? Because again, as a pastor, I can say, you need to pray more, you need to do it. And you're thinking, I get it, but I go into the closet and I think, I'm, think my phone buzzes or I think about the cobwebs in the corner, I'm distracted. How can I do this better? Right? Here's something I think will help you. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. And this is what we call praying the scriptures and using the Psalms as a tool. And this is a little rule of thumb, something that I think could be a big help to you. Right? Here's how it works. You choose one of five Psalms that you're going to pray through. Okay? You think, well, how do I, pay, how do I pick a Psalm? Okay, well, okay, today is October what? What's today's date? October 7th. So our first Psalm we'd look at would be Psalm 7. And then we're going to add 30, 30, 30, 30, so we have five psalms. So it would be Psalm 7, the next one would be Psalm 37, 67, 97, and 
127. So what we do is that you would think, okay, I'm going to spend my, some time in the Lord. I'm going to pick one of these psalms. I'm going to prove it. And so you look at Psalm, 1, Psalm 7, and it's on page 450 in your pew Bible, and it says this, God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Like, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. And so we read that first part of Psalm and realize this is a cry for help. God, help me. I'm facing some difficult things and I need your help. And you think, okay, that's Psalm 7. Now, what's the next one? 37, so turn with me to 37. We won't do all five of them. We'll do a couple. All right, Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 begins, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like green herbs. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And here it seems like a psalm that somebody's burdened by something, that things are hard, and it's going to express his trust in the Lord. Okay, so the first one was about somebody's fat battling some enemies and things are hard here, expressing trust. Now let's look at Psalm 67. Quickly, and it'll just take you a couple minutes to look at these initial psalms. And Psalm 67, and it's on page 481, and it says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. And it goes on. So here's what you do. You, today's date, October 7th, so you flip through those different psalms, those five psalms, and you think, now I'm going to pick one of those that kind of fit where I am today and what I feel like I need from the Lord and stuff. And so, and then, so now I'm going to pray through that psalm. And so then let's suppose you say, I'm going to do Psalm 67. And what might that sound like? Well, what we do then is just start praying through it a phrase at a time. For instance, in Psalm 67, 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And you'd pray something like, God, I thank you that you have been incredibly gracious to me. God, you've given your son Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. You've given me more than I could ever deserve. Lord, you've been good to me in ways that I could never have imagined. You have been gracious to me. And Lord, you've blessed us. You've blessed me with blessings that are countless. And yet, God, you're a God who doesn't exhaust all those. And so as the psalmist prays, God, be gracious to us and bless us. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to pour out your grace and your blessings. And God, and to make his face shine upon us. Lord, help me not just to be talking to you about all the stuff that I want, Lord. Help me to be desiring your face, that your, your, your acceptance, that you would embrace me, that, we would, that I could know you and love you in greater ways. And then you go to the next verse that your ways may be known on the earth. And so you pray about God's work expanding in the earth, and maybe then you get specific that your ways may be known on the earth, and God, I pray that you would make your ways known to my brother who's lost and doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that you'd make your ways known to my friends who are struggling in their marriage and they don't know what to do. And God, I pray that you would use your word to give them direction that they could know your ways. Lord, you're saving power among the nations. Lord, I pray that you would save the nations, people all over the world. But God, I pray as well you'd save my neighbor. And, and so you just use the psalm and, and, and just spend time talking to the Lord. 
And so you're interweaving your desire for God's hand, but also pursuing God's face. Right, so as we think about prayer, as we think about this first part of our outline, we see that, that prayer and preaching are the priorities of Jesus. And so he is praying, and the people come and say, everybody's looking for you. And, and, and he's like, and what he doesn't do, he said, doesn't say, okay, well, let's go take care of all those needs. What does he do next? So let's go back to Mark chapter 1. So prayer, so I'm giving you a little tool to help you with prayers. Anybody think that might be helpful for them? Okay, it's really, really helpful. If you don't, just try it. I would encourage you this, this afternoon. I don't know if there's a football game on or not this afternoon at halftime. Turn it off. You're not going to be distracted by the football game. Get away from distractions and just spend a little time with that, walking through that. I, I'm confident you'll be refreshed. And then tell me about it. Okay, I'd be curious. I'd be eager to know how, how that goes for you. Send me a text. Send me an email. Spend some time with the Lord. Well, Jesus, back to our passage. So everyone is looking for him. What happens when Jesus is praying? Verse 38, he says, And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's interesting, as everybody's looking for Jesus, we don't know how they're expressing this, but clearly they wanted Jesus to come and take care of all these people. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says he has a different purpose than coming and healing everybody's diseases. That Jesus doesn't say he has come to make sure that Israel has no more diseases, that everybody in Israel is cured, everybody in Israel is healthy. God had a bigger agenda than that. He had a greater priority. And in this, he says that his priority is to preach there also, to proclaim this gospel. And what the point that we could see in this is that Jesus communicates that good news, this gospel is more important than good health. The good news is more important than good health, which might even shape the way we pray, because oftentimes as we think about our prayer list, which one of these seem to trump on a prayer list? Good health. I heard a quote recently. Somebody says, we spend more time praying to keep people out of heaven than we do keeping them out of hell. You get that? God, heal them. Don't let them die, Lord. Don't let them die. And that's good. We need to, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for that. But the other part of it is we seem sometimes indifferent to people going to hell. That seems weird, right? So ramp that up. Okay, so, but Jesus says he's communicating good news is better than good health. And Jesus tells them that he's come for this purpose is to preach. What is this preaching? Look back over in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and we get a picture of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And what we see Jesus saying here is that there is this gospel, there is good news that we need to hear. We are sinners and rebels against the holy God, and God has made provision for us so we don't have to suffer the consequences of our choices that somebody else has suffered the consequences of our choices, and it's Jesus. And he's going to die on the cross, raised from the dead. And so everybody who will turn from their sins, turn and trust him, will have new life. He will transform them. He'll transform them now and for all of eternity. That's the message. And Jesus says, that's why I came. I came to make this known. Because physical health is important. Spiritual health is far more important. One of the things we realize and that we see throughout the scriptures, sometimes we hear people say, the only thing that matters are Jesus and the gospel. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that everything's important. As a believer, everything matters. 
The time you spent yesterday, if you're a parent, spend yesterday having a donut with your four-year-old yesterday, that matters to God. That's important. Cleaning your house with cobwebs that don't distract you in prayer, that matters to God. Okay, everything matters. But we also re- So good health matters. But they're just things that matter a whole lot more than others. And so we need to recognize that there may be tons of opportunities, but we need to recognize what are our priorities. And so we're keeping an emphasis on the priorities while addressing the concerns that we have. And that's what we see Jesus do, because Jesus says, let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also. Because what we see, Jesus, what we're going to see is here, Jesus doesn't say, the only thing that matters is me preaching the gospel. I don't care about those people that are sick and suffering. Because look what it says next. And he went through all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. Now, does anybody's verse end there? No, your verse doesn't end there. It goes on and says, and casting out demons. He's, he cares about these people. And if we have any doubt, let's just read on. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring, kneeling, and said to him, If you can, make me clean. So, Jesus has just said, I've come, let's go to the other towns, I've come to preach. A leper comes up to him. Now, if we're not, if we don't know Jesus well and we're just reading what we have here, if we don't read any further, we would think, what would be his response? Hey, I didn't come to heal people, and I didn't come for your problems. I came to preach the gospel, so bug off. But, that's, but look what Jesus says in verse 41. Moved with pity, moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and he touched to him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. As we look at this, leprosy was a significant disease in their day. There's a whole range of skin diseases that was described as leprosy, some from a little skin infection to some as called, I think it's Hansen's disease, where your skin oozes and body parts fall off. It's fatal. It's bad stuff. And Leviticus, listen, Leviticus 13.45, listen to what it says about lepers and how they're supposed to be in the community. It says, Leviticus 13.45, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So somebody with this disease, because very likely it was a contagious disease, and so they needed to live separate. And so, so people could identify a leper. They're to wear old, ragged, torn-up clothes. Their hair is supposed to be let, just let go. And so basically we see this long, stringy hair with that. And as they're walking, they're covering their lip, and they're saying, unclean, unclean. And so everybody knows what? Stand clear. Get away. And this individual is supposed to live alone, outside the camp. Now, think about somebody having to live that way. Because they have a disease that is maybe highly contagious, they need to be isolated for, for because of that. And so we realize that there may be some things with that, but realizing, who, who cares about people like that? I don't want what they have. I, I don't want to get close to that. I don't want to catch it. They have to live outside. They call themselves unclean. And yet as Jesus sees this leper, it says he is moved with pity. He cares. And, and then look at the little detail. He's moved with pity 
And he stretched out his own hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, last week we saw that Jesus, that he merely speaks sometimes and stuff can be healed. Other times he, he touched somebody by hand and raised up. So Jesus could have healed this guy just by saying, I will be clean, but keep your distance. He could have said that. He could have healed that man in that fashion. But Jesus didn't. What did he do? He touched him. Here's a question. When do you think the last time anybody touched that guy was? You all have any idea? Probably a long time. And here is this, in many ways, the way they're treating Jesus. He is a superstar, and he is this miracle worker, and he, this guy wants to be clean. And what does he do? Jesus, the, we don't see Jesus saying, hey, disciples, keep this guy from me. You know, I've got other business to do. We see Jesus touching him. And it's this incredible picture of the compassion of Jesus. That Jesus doesn't just address our problems and our needs from a distance. Jesus draws near to us. He gets involved. He invests himself in our struggles. And so what we see in this, and the point that I want us to see, is that people and problems, they're concerns of Jesus. Preaching and prayer are priorities, but concerns, he is concerned about people and their problems. As we see this, that Jesus, we need to see that Jesus truly cares about the challenges we face. Jesus is not indifferent and I want you to hear me this morning that whatever your struggles are today, whatever deep waters you may find yourself in, whatever fires you may be walking through today, I want you to know that Jesus is not distant from you. He is not desiring to keep distant because you've messed up so much and now he's backing away and waiting for you to fix things. What Jesus is waiting for you to do is to respond to this individual who says, if you will make me clean that we would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you desire this, you can help me. And Jesus' response is, I will. Be clean. And we see in this that this leper comes to Jesus in faith, and Jesus responds to the leper in love. That's how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus in faith. How does he respond to us? In love. That's the Savior that we have. That's the Savior that we pursue. And we need to realize that none of us are too dirty. None of us are too unclean to come to Jesus. We may be, and, and, and frankly, listen, all of us, apart from the work of God, are spiritual lepers. Every one of us are spiritual lepers who are unclean. Unlike the lepers in the Bible, though, we often don't know about how unclean we are. We think we're pretty clean. But in the love and the compassion of Jesus, He reveals our sin to us so that we can be made new. And so we see this great hope in this. Jesus, priority of preaching, priority of prayer, but really concerned about people and their problems just like us. Well, what happens next in our passage? Verse 42, Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing that Moses make, that as Moses commanded for proof to them. So what's supposed to do this guy? Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this, but go to the priest 
Show them that you've been made clean. That was a part of the Old Testament ceremonial law. The priest would look at him, declare him clean, and now he could be back part of the camp. He could be part of the people. Doesn't have to have his old clothes, the hair, all that kind of stuff. Everything's good. And so he says, go take care of that. But he says, don't tell anybody about it. And we, ask our, we scratch our heads and think, why doesn't he want to tell anybody? I mean, that, I mean that, why doesn't he want everybody to know? Well, let's keep reading. It says this. Verse 45, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. So this guy doesn't obey Jesus. He goes, he's talking to everybody so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in a desolate place and people were coming to him from every quarter. So what happens? We've learned earlier. Look back in chapter 1, verse 28. What's going on with Jesus and his popularity? His popularity is growing. Verse, chapter 1, verse 28. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. And then it goes on in verse 33. The whole city was gathered together at the door. The crowds are just growing like crazy. And they grow to the point after this guy goes, Jesus can't go into town anymore. I mean, the crowds are so big, everybody wants healed, everybody wants this from Jesus, he can't even go into town anymore. And, and, and we'd say, well, why doesn't Jesus go and heal him and preach? Why doesn't he just, why doesn't he do that? Why does he say he go out into desolate places and people come into him? Why does he change what he does? Listen, imagine this. Let's, let's suppose we're in Indonesia and there's been a massive earthquake, a tsunami, and we're without power, we're without water, we're without um, sewage, we're, we don't have anything. And it's been like two weeks, and we're, we're desperate. And we are desperate because we have significant needs that we can't meet on our own. And then a semi full of bottled water drives into town. Has that become a popular place of gathering? Yeah. Now, I say to you that before, listen, before I distribute any of this water, I want to talk to you guys about some things. How well do you think they're going to hear anything I have to say? They're not going to hear a single word I have to say. Why? They're desperate. They are desperate. The crowds are so big that they want this. They're not going to hear anything that I say. And so we have this mob of people all around it. And probably, if you have a mob of people, what's the volume often happens? raises. I said, shh, shh, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And the people in the back are saying, forget, say anything. We want some water. And so Jesus shows up in his town. There's hordes of people. He wants to do some preaching. and says, forget preaching. Forget that stuff. We want healed. We know what you did in Capernaum. We know what you did in these other towns of Galilee. Do that for us. And Jesus can't enter these, city, these towns anymore because of the mob of crowds that are growing. And so what does he do? He retreats. And it says that he goes to these desolate places and then people continue to come to him. Here's what I want us to see. That Jesus had priorities, preaching and prayer. He had concerns, people and their problems. But listen, that Jesus doesn't change his priorities whenever our disobedience changes his opportunities. You see, Jesus could have changed his priorities. He says, you know what, I know I came to preach, but look at all these needs. And so I'm not going to focus on preaching. I'm going to focus on healing people, and I'm going to focus on that. That is now going to become my priority. You see, that's a problem. Because Jesus didn't send him primarily to meet needs, to meet physical needs. He sent him to preach the gospel. 
as we think about the implications of us as a church, I think this message helps us very clearly begin to understand some of our priorities and what we ought to be doing as a church. What is the priority that God has given to us to make disciples, to preach and to pray? The Word of God, those are our priorities. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to care about our neighbors. It doesn't mean that we're not going to seek to meet some needs. But we're going to recognize we're not going to let this turn upside down. And what we see often happen in, in churches is that they, their priorities change and the needs of people, and so the preaching of the Word just disappears. Everything matters. Some things matter more than others. And what matters more and what matters most are the Word of God and prayer. People and problems are real. But we need to keep these in good balance. And so let us remember our mission. Let us follow the priorities of Jesus and his concerns. Let us have the same burdens that he has. Let us love others wisely by speaking the gospel. But let us also demonstrate concerns by seeking to meet needs. But let's keep these in the right place. We're deeply concerned about people. We're deeply concerned about problems. But we are primarily focused on the priorities that Jesus has given to us to go and to make disciples. And so, as we consider that in our own lives, as we consider that in the context of prayer, I would ask you to be praying about these things. To be praying, God, give us as a church wisdom to know how to get the gospel into our community and to keep that as a primary priority. But God, as we go about preaching the gospel and we discover needs, give us the wisdom to know how to meet those needs. But to do this all together, that we have a holistic gospel and a holistic ministry that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love others as we love ourselves. Lord, help us to know how to put all that together. Well, as we close this morning, I want to just point you to your sermon notes. On the, back, on the bottom, there are some uh, make-it-real things I'd encourage you to maybe consider as we clu- conclude this morning. And then also on the back side, there are some questions I would encourage you to consider as well. So I'm going to pray, and our men will receive our morning off. But as we pray and receive the offering, I would encourage you to consider, what will I do with this message? What will I do with the message of priorities and prayer, people, and their problems? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the pattern that we see in his life that, that, that seems to be reflective, need to be reflected in our lives. But Lord, we thank you as well that we would be a people who are committed to the priorities of Jesus because we have become children and brothers of Jesus. That we've been adopted into your family and that that, that we would have a heart for others. That we would have a heart for you. Lord, I pray that you would stir us and to consider our own prayer lives. Are, are, Are we more like a motorboat or a sailboat? Lord, I pray that you would help our ministry, the ministry of Eastside Baptist Church, to be one that is very much a sailboat that is driven by your will and your power, and that we would submit ourselves to that. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, help us to see your truth. Help us to see that all things matter, that some matter more than others, and that your word and prayer are essential for our ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.